Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. God loves to deal with impediments, and Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Today we'll see how God can use impediments as a way for us to see and recognize His work in our situations. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message titled, Impediment to the Promise. I really feel that God wants to break through and do something amazing this year. There are promises in my life, and I don't know about yours, that are still pending. Do you have promises that are still pending? Do you have those that have been fulfilled, those that are being fulfilled, and those that have yet to be fulfilled? But perhaps you have a particular promise that has an impediment to it. There's something that is standing in the way. And maybe you're saying, Lord, I know this is what your word says. I feel that you have promised me this. This is what has been confirmed by others. But I just don't see how this can be fulfilled. I just don't see it because this stands in the way or that stands in the way. And and you feel that God's given it to you. You've been holding on to it, maybe for some time, maybe you've even written your name next to it or put a date to it, or you've prayed it and prayed it and prayed it. But there's an impediment. That impediment could be some type of obstruction, an obstacle, maybe a legal sanction or a disablement. It's the wall that stands between you and the promise of God. It's that object that threatens your claim to God's promise. And it can come in a varied form. It can be a lack of finances. Like, Lord, I don't see how you're going to do that. We have no money. We have no resources. It can be a lack of energy. Seriously, for those of us over 50, we understand what that means. Where, I mean, sometimes I look at my grandchildren, I'm like, wow, that's energy. I want to interact with them, but I'd have to chase them down. Or it's a lack of strength. We just don't feel strong enough. A lack of time. There are people who are standing in the way. It's a place that we're not at or we need to get to, and we don't see how we can get to that place. It's a lack of power or influence on, on our behalf. It could be a law, but it's a seeming impossibility. But I have found that God loves to deal with impediments. And sometimes I have found that he even points it out to me, like, see that impediment? You're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm going to bring it down. But God is the one who shows him to us. In this way, 
we have a greater awareness of his promise. We study his promise just a little harder because we're like, wait, 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 I got to look at this again, because how is this going to be fulfilled? I mean, think about the places of impediments. Think about Zechariah. When the angel shows up to Zechariah in the temple, he says, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. Zechariah is like, let me tell you the impediments to that, okay? I'm old, my wife is old, and that's good enough. It's not going to happen. Or when the angel says to Mary, you're going to have a baby. She says, wait, here's an impediment. It's a big one. I'm a virgin, and I've never been with a man. God loves to deal with impediments. As Jesus said, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And it makes us look harder at his promise, even rehearse his promise. It makes us look to his power because we know it's not in us. The possibilities are not there. The plausibility is not there. It makes us look to his instruction. How are we going to do this? How is this going to happen? And it makes us Look to his work, not our own. Life is filled with both promises and impediments to believers. We have both. We have the promises of God, but we have impediment after impediment after impediment. However, we can look back on our lives and see how God has dealt with the past impediments. Again, I think about the tomb of Jesus. And I think about those women that rose up early on Sunday morning. And all they wanted was Jesus. But there were three impediments to Jesus. There was a big one, death. Death was keeping them from Jesus. Jesus was dead. They were alive. Secondly, there was a huge stone that barred the entrance to the tomb. And the women were concerned, how will we roll it away? And there was a third impediment, which was a legal impediment. It was the Roman guards and the seal of Caesar. And as they were going to the tomb, they were conscious of the impediments. But when they got there, they found that God had dealt with every single impediment before they even arrived. One, Jesus was alive. That's big. Two, the stone was rolled away. Three, the Roman guards had gotten really scared and run away. God had dealt with every impediment. He has given us so many promises. Our lives are living miracles of what he has already done for us. Many of the promises that you have in your possession, that you have claimed, were once barred by impediments. But God removed those impediments. And you're thinking, wow, I am living in the thing that at one point seemed impossible. I'm living it. And it's just so natural now. Others, or maybe you, still have seeming impossibilities in your life. God has a particular way. He wants to deal with the impediments in our life. He has a plan to remove them. He has unique instructions for us to follow. And he desires to work in us, 
through us and with us to remove these impediments. In fact, God wants you to receive, inherit, and live in the promises even more than you want to receive and live in it. He wants to fulfill his word to you and show you how good he is. And he wants you to know the veracity, the validity, and victory of his word. God's ways are the best ways. They prepare us for his work. They remove intimidation from us. You see, as God takes down one impediment after another, we are no longer hindered by impediments. We're no longer like, oh no, there's an impediment. Let's give it up. We're like, there's an impediment. Let's see what God's gonna do. Let's get together. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. It's no longer the threat. It's no longer the end of the story as you once saw it to be. You see it only as something that God is about to deal with. It preserves us from presumption. We don't go and attack it. I mean, I can't tell you the times that people said, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? When you said, I'm praying, they're like, is that it? Is that really all you're doing? And you're like, yes, because prayer moves things. Prayer works. And for me to go out and attack the thing is counterproductive. It's going to have the opposite effect that I want, that I desire. But when God removes the impediment, it preserves us from presumption by keeping us dependent on his instruction, his timing, and his work. In Joshua 6, we learn four specific steps to removing the impediments from the promises of God. Step number one, follow God's word. Follow God's word, God's instructions. God's word gives us specific instructions for how to live life and remove particular and specific impediments. Secondly, pray, prayer, be still. Thirdly, be persistent. Persistent in obedience to God's word and persistence in prayer. And fourthly, sanctify yourself to God. In other words, dedicate your work and what happens through you to the glory of God. Now, as we come to Joshua chapter 6, we see that Joshua and the Israelites had a huge impediment to the promises of God. They're so close. They're actually in the promised land, but they haven't been able to lay claim to settle into it, to begin to live there on a daily basis. And yet, as they would look back on their history, they could see that God had already dealt with so many impediments. God had dealt with the slavery in their life, their addiction to the Egyptians. They are oppression because that slavery had been an impediment to claiming the promises of God. God had already dealt with 
the hardened heart of Pharaoh. And that hardened heart had been an impediment to the emancipation of Israel and the claim to the promises of God. He had already dealt with the army of Pharaoh. He had dealt with the Red Sea. He had dealt with the wilderness. He had dealt with the lack of water and the lack of food. He had dealt with the Amalekites that attacked them. He had dealt with the hostility of the Edomites, Moabites, and Amorites who were determined to keep Israel from the promised land of God. He dealt with the giants, Bashan and Og, who had intimidated 10 of the spies that had gone into the land. Those giants that kept the 10 spies from wanting to go into the promised land, God had already dealt with. And he dealt with the Jordan River so that the people were able to cross. God had worked in each of these seeming impediments to bring Israel that much closer to the promised land. Now, as Joshua looks over at the entranceway to Israel, the territory of promise, he sees this walled city of Jericho. It is the first walled city that the children of Israel have come to. It seems impenetrable. It is said by archaeologists that the wall was 15 feet thick. It was double layered and it was 30 feet high. It is completely enclosed. It is shut up. There is no vulnerability that can be seen. And it is absolutely intimidating, downright scary. But it must be dealt with if the Israelites are going to go in and take possession of the land. However, they can't simply attack it, go at it. You can't go up and just kick it. You're just going to hit your foot, hurt your foot if you try to kick it. There's the possibility of defeat. Worse yet, there's a possibility of presumption. Like, I'm not waiting around. I'm going to take it down. And then getting hurt and accomplishing nothing. As Joshua prepared to take the city, he receives confirmation. As you remember in earlier chapters, there are the two spies who went into Jericho and met Rahab. And they learned the disposition of the people who were in Jericho, that they were not aggressive. They were scared. They were threatened. They were intimidated. Secondly, Joshua has an encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. He looks like a warrior and he has a drawn sword. And he has come to take charge of the armies of Israel. I think for Joshua, that must have been such a relief. Great. It's not up to me. I'm under the order of God. He's come. He sent his commander. I am going forth with God. Because we know that Joshua fell on his face when he heard this word. And he worshiped the Lord. And he asked for God's instruction. Now as we come to chapter 6, 
the Lord speaks and he says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. God is saying it's a done deal. It's already happened. It is sure. It is certain. God was allowing Joshua to see as he saw. There was a conflict between what things looked like and the reality of what it really was. It looked impenetrable. It looked unconquerable. But the reality was it was about to fall, completely fall and be obliterated. By sight, Jericho was tightly shut up. By promise, it was already defeated. And what was greater, the sight or the promise? What was great, the promise, greater the promise or the impediment? The assurance is under the condition of the following instructions. You see, there is no assurance of promise fulfillment if we go rogue and are disobedient. If we go maverick and independent, and I'm tired of waiting on God, we have no promise left because all the promises are conditioned on our obedience and our covenant with God through Christ. God moves us to obedience. He gives us his instructions because he wants to give us all the promises. He alone knows how to fulfill these promises to us. He alone knows what is necessary to bring the impediments down that we might receive the promises. I think about Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. And there, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, where would you like us to celebrate the Sabbath with you? And Jesus gives them these very specific instructions. He says, one, enter Jerusalem. Go into Jerusalem. Secondly, look for a man carrying a water pot because that was unusual. Then he says, follow him, observe the house he enters, ask for the master of that house, ask the master to show you the room and then prepare it. And in Luke 22, 13, we're told, so they went and found it just as he said to them. You see, we will never find it just as he said if we refuse to follow his directives. His directives, his instruction, his word is necessary and vital to bringing down the impediments to receiving the promise, the promise which is his word. We will only find it just as he says when we walk in obedience. The instructions, here's his word to them. Here it is, and here is, here is our lesson. It would seem that the commander spoke these instructions to Joshua about the strategy. The armies of Israel were to go forward in rank with the Ark of the Covenant. Seven priests, each with a horn, were to accompany the Ark and blow their ram's horns 
interspersedly, if that's a word, just pretend it is. The army was to march around the city every day, once around for six days, and then return to the camp. However, on the seventh day, the army with the ark is to march around the city seven times. Imagine how exhausting that would be. Every day, I believe God is draining their strength that they might know his strength. Then after the seventh circuit, on the seventh day, the priests would make a loud blast of the trumpet and all the people were to shout. And I wonder if this included the people in the camp, the women and the children in Gilgal, if they were to hear the men shouting and they were to join that shout, knowing that victory was inevitable. God promised that after this shout, on the seventh day after the seventh circuit, that the walls of Jericho would fall down flat. Next, there is prayer. There is one more proviso to these instructions, and that is prayer. During the march, there is not to be a word uttered. While we were in the leaders meeting, somebody said, do you think the women went? And somebody else said, no, because there was not supposed to be a word uttered. And I told that to Brian and Brian said, it's a good thing a woman said that. (laughs) The only sound would be the stomping on the ground of those who are marching and the priest horns. To those inside Jericho, it must have sounded like a stampede of elephants. They were not to shout. They were not to make any noise with their mouth or say a word from their mouth. No whispering even. What a challenge this would be. My daughter was um, taking her exam to be an esthetician, and she asked me to be her model. And she said, but one thing, Mom, you may not speak. You can't talk to me. You can't say anything to me. And I was like, oh, honey, are you sure I'm the right person? And I really had to pray for the gift of restraint and not talking, especially because she had to do these false eyelashes on me. It was the only time I got to wear false eyelashes in my life. But she put one on that was just one string, another that were each individual. And as she was doing the individual ones, this one popped up. And, you know, as a mom, I wanted to go, honey, you better fix it. We want to pass this. But I wasn't allowed to talk. And I was like, And I wanted to go, but I wasn't allowed to make a sound. And I'm just there. So in my heart, I'm just praying, oh God, let her see the eyelash. Let her see the eyelash. And my oldest daughter, she's got Brian's temperament. So she's very calm. And she's just doing it. She looks at me and she's like, because I'm trying to do it with my eyes. And she looks at me and she's like, like, I know mother, peace, be still. Know that he's God. He's over me. I'm all right. You're all right. Just stay quiet. I think she was probably praying for me. Got her off worrying about the exam. But what do you do when you are forced to be quiet and the situation is intense, intimidating, unknown? You pray. That is the gift that we have. We don't have to pray out loud. We can pray in our hearts. We can pray in our minds. And it often takes those situations of forced silence to cause us to really pray. 
I am sure as they marched, they reminded themselves of God's promise because they were unable to talk to anyone but God. Prayer is another factor in leveling the impediments that stand in the way of the promises. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus taught his disciples that men ought always to pray and not to faint. But that word ought always, it means they, they need to keep praying, be persistent in prayer. God has given us so many promises. Some may feel near and easy to grasp and others may seem like impossibilities. Right now you may be living in amazement of what God has done in your life or you may be discouraged because those promises seem so far off. God is faithful to keep his promises and he wants to deal with those impediments. Like the Israelites, he has a plan to remove all the obstacles as he works in and through us. As he does this, we will see the fulfillment, faithfulness, and truth come alive in all that he has promised. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's provision for impediments as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.